is a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. On today's program, I'd like to welcome an actor, singer and dancer who's established an esteemed career spanning 25 years and counting. Rowan Brown has some impressive musical theatre credits, including stints in The Boy From Oz, Singing in the Rain, Cats, West Side Story and Chicago. On screen, he's featured in Dance Academy, Miss Fisher's Mysteries and Secret Bridesmaids Business, to name just a few. He's currently appearing as the illuminating, witty and immensely fun Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast, playing now at Sydney's Capitol Theatre. And I'm delighted that he's found time between performances to come and be in conversation with me today. Rowan Brown, welcome to 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Hi, thanks for having me. I feel like the interview's done. That's it. That's oh, my that's career. That's your in career a done. nutshell, we are finished. <laughs> right, well, I'll just play music for the next okay, hour. That's all right. <laughs> you can have the morning off. But I was fortunate enough to see uh, one of the previews of Beauty and the Beast, and I'm a bit worried about how you managed to keep your arms up in the air for so long <laughs> carrying those uh, candles. It's Hard work and diligence. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously like it's a big show. It goes for, I think, two hour, two and a half hours. Uh, I carry these these kind of, you know, candles around for I'm on stage a lot. We do a big kind of like extravaganza, be our guest tap dancing, all singing, all kick lining dance number. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I, I did a lot of training to kind of uh, get me to this point. And huh. so every show it gets... A little bit easier, but I'm also not a performer to rest on their laurels, so I will always push myself in every performance. So yeah, I'm still I'm still figuring it out. I think uh, we're at like show thirty something, so it's still kind of you know my body's still adapting and 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 figuring out how how it works, but. Yeah, it's a it's a big show. As long as you don't end up with a lopsided physique at the end of it. <laughs> let's hope not. I mean, that's you know, nobody anyway, wants that. Anyway, to explain to people who might not know what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> um, what is your role and what is that for people who are unfamiliar with the show? Uh, and my why, role why is, is Lumiere. So I, I, yeah, Beauty and the Beast is this wonderful story uh, based on a French fable um, about a spell that's cast over a castle and over a, a kind of bratty prince that, you know, they slowly turn into these objects. I am uh, one of the characters who is the prince's valet. So basically I am supposed to teach him in the ways of love and, and education and etiquette and all of those kind of things. And along with Cogsworth, who is like the head of the household, and Mrs. Potts, who kind of runs the household. Let's be honest, she runs everything and we just pretend <laughs> we think that we run it. We are slowly turning into these objects over time. And so my object, because I am this bright light in the building, my object turns, I start turning into a candelabra. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, running around with this beautiful, brilliant gold kind of costume on, which is, which they actually adapted for the Australian version. Oh, it's different. Yeah, it's very different. So if you see photos of the English cast that did it, it's, it's extremely different and it's much more, um, I think, regal, the version that we've got here, like the women who worked on this costume, particularly and on the design, it's yeah. incredible. Like they should win awards for it. It's, <laughs> it's really quite fantastic and the work that they put into it. But yeah, I'm carrying around this suit and these candles and slowly turning into this this candle. Yeah, and I love flames. I love, flames. yes, with actual flames. Actual you flames. I'm very of, dangerous, but you... I am lighting up all of the birthday cakes for the rest of the company members <laughs> at intervals. So I should hope so. I do have another job. Because whenever you get excited, of course, you, you flick the candles. Candles on, and, uh, yeah. which is happens a lot. <laughs> He's say. very excitable. 
Well, I think we have to have our first piece of music now. And uh, you've got a lovely selection of, uh, of mainly jazz, mm. except for this one. Yeah. What have you chosen here? Well, there's why? something so beautiful about uh, I trained as a ballet dancer. So I didn't do jazz or tap until I went to the Victorian College of the Arts secondary school when I was 14, and it blew my mind. All of a sudden, I was training to be a, a ballet dancer, and I went off. My mum had a, a, a you know yearly subscription to the ballet, and I used to go and sit and watch and be like, I'm going to do that one day. And so ballet was always kind of like my foundation. And we had one teacher at VCAS, is the kind of, you know, amalgamation of Victorian College of the Arts Secondary School, who loved Debussy. We never danced to this particular piece because he would do all those strident, different kind of time signature, kind of beautiful, strong kind of music. But when I first heard the Claire de Lune, I, it just, I just fell in love because it had this beauty, but it also had this sadness and it was kind of this, I don't know... Yeah, dichotomy of the two kind of emotions playing and toying with each other. And I've always regretted not learning a musical instrument, and that would be piano. Mm. And I always said to myself that I wanted to learn piano just to be able to play this song. I think you need a lot of technique just to be able to play this song. A lot so of it would take me. You know, I could play it probably terribly if I just <laughs> learned to play the song, but I just love it. for Debussy's Claire de Lune, the first choice of my guest in conversation today, the actor Rowan Brown, who's currently lighting up the stage as Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast, playing now at Sydney's Capitol Theatre. So you mentioned ballet there, Rowan. Going back to the beginning, you were learning mm. ballet from quite a young age, weren't you? Very young. If anyone knows the musical A Chorus Line, ah, uh, yeah. one of the very first songs is I Can Do That. Um, and can you? <laughs> I could. Well, I was a bit of a shot. I'm a Leo, right? So my birthday's coming up. My sister started learning ballet and I used to go and watch her. Older sister. Yeah, yeah. older sister, sorry. Yeah, I used to watch and then get up and show off and tell her that she wasn't doing it right. <gasps> the teacher was like, actually, this this kid's pretty good. Does he want to come and start dance lessons? Yeah. And my mum was like, oh. And she asked me and I was like, yeah, of course. And so I just started at the young age of four. 
and did it for for years. Like you know, I was the only male at the ballet school, so I got all the starring roles. So that you know played <laughs> into the Leo kind of type personality. And I just I really loved it. I I loved the the art form of it. I loved I guess the structure yeah. as well. And I just had a, this beautiful teacher who was from the Royal Ballet who fell in who came out here on tour. Mm. Fell in love with an Australian and went back, missed him and, and just they got married and she moved back here and opened up a tiny little ballet school. Like you can imagine going from the Royal Ballet mm. and then moving. I'm from Melbourne, this tiny seaside town called Seaford just near Frankston in the south. Still part of Melbourne suburbs, but tiny. But barely part of Melbourne. Barely, yeah. but just, yeah. just. Um, and she just opened up a dance school and converted her front room into a dance studio. So when does ballet morph into the other performance arts? Yeah, well, I mean, over that time I had to make choices, you know, like my ballet schedule moved, you know, I was doing scouts and basketball and all of these kind of things and I had to make kind of choices as to what I wanted to do and I hit kind of 11 or 12 it must have been when Mm. I think scouts moved to a Friday night and my ballet teacher was like, well, if you want to do this seriously, you need to come on Friday nights. And so I made the choice to do that and then my basketball coach... Funnily enough, not my dance teacher told me about this school where you could go and do half a day of dance and half a day of academic. And it blew my mind. I was like, well, of course I want to do that. So I auditioned. I was already in year seven, so it was for a high school. Um, And then I auditioned and and, and got in um, because it was all you did ballet every single day. But some of the extra classes that you did were like acrobatics uh, and then they started adding in like jazz and tap. And I did my first tap class and I was like, this is awesome. And I had this innate sense of rhythm in me that I didn't know I had. Hmm. And my teacher at the time saw that and she was like, you got a lot of work to do if you want to catch up to where all of your other classmates are. Because everyone else had done a bit of tap when they were younger. So I was really behind and she said you can come and do free classes but there's we do classes on Saturdays and classes at night Mm. on the in the same school premises so I was like oh well I'll come because I wanted to get better and within that year I went from beginner to advanced because her teaching was so great and she'd come from musical theater the Jane William uh, JC Williamson that was it uh, like the original kind of big producer of musicals and that was it then I saw my first musical as well, which was a chorus line. I didn't realise that you could do it as a vocation here in Australia because I'd just seen it on film yeah. and they were all American or English. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, you can do that here? Mm. And it's not ballet? Oh, and it kind of started me down that path of, oh, maybe that that's what I want to do. Mm. So that, that life in the, in a performing arts high school would have been quite different from the, the year seven that you had at the, the more regular high school. Oh, my then. God. Yeah. It I was, mean, you are still, doing, amazing. Normal, you are still I, doing normal academic work, aren't you, too? Yeah, of course. Squeezed in between the ballet and the tap yeah. and the jazz and the Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, you, so you, your schedule was like, uh, I think, pretty sure from year, year seven to year nine, you'd, yeah. do, uh, you'd start with dance on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and then academic in the afternoon and vice versa for your, your Tuesday, Thursday. But you'd be at school from 8.30 till 5.30 every day. Wow, yeah. Every day. Every and time. I was traveling from Seaford, which was like an hour's train trip into the city to get there. So I'd be up at... Six in the morning because you have to get to school early enough to warm up because you had to be at school by eight. So it was there were long days that taught me a lot about diligence and you know preparation and a bit of work ethic really. Mm. Yeah, because you need that mindset for everything. So I, I was learning it from a very young age to yeah. what you had to do to prepare to 
do your best work. But that's all the dancing part of it. What about mm. the acting and the singing? Aspect? That came much later. Uh, when, I think when I decided to do musical theatre, my mum and dad were like, well, maybe we need to take you off to, to vocal lessons. And I don't know how they found this man, Anthony Crowley, who had worked with the opera and, and has since written kind of like shows in Melbourne. I don't know how they found him because he was in Footscray. So <laughs> we're in Frankston, which is, that's an hour and a half drive. My dad, my dad was really supportive, you know, compared to a lot of my other male friends who didn't have supportive dads. And he was like, I'll, I'll drive you there. I'll pick you up from school. We'll go there. He'll sit in the car. He'll read a book and then drive me home, which is amazing. And so I was going off to vocal lessons with him, but then my voice mm. started to break and, and Anthony was like, we'll do damage. We need to wait until your voice is fully broken, so wait for a year. Then I never went back. I, I just started, I just I must have had a natural voice um, because then I moved to Sydney. I got my first musical. And I hadn't really had much vocal training from then. So I knew that I was, I was again in the same mm. situation that when I went to high school, that I was behind everyone else. I was like, okay, I need to now focus on on doing this and, and going off and having yeah. lessons. Same with acting. Mm. Our next musical selection now, Rowan, what's this one? Ah, this is Ahmad's Blues. So I got to a certain age and, and I don't know, yeah, I, I was like, I feel like I need to get into jazz. <laughs> it was just this kind of thing. And Ahmad Jamal was like a really great in for me because it wasn't, Charlie Parker or Miles Davis in that bebop kind of jazz where I just, I was like, where is the one? <laughs> what, what, there's so much going on here. And I just loved his musicality. I loved his phrasing. I loved just the way that he would, yeah, play the instrument. It was like they were connected in some way. And this particular song I love because then I discovered that Marlena Shaw had done a version of it, like a vocalized version. And it was just super cool. And I love this version, which is Jamal in the penthouse, because it's kind of got these BBs and this ooing and ahhing. And yeah, it's a, it's a great, great version of it.
Ahmad Jamal with Ahmad's Blues, the choice of my guest in conversation today, Rowan Brown. He is Lumiere in The Beauty and the Beast, playing now at the Capitol Theatre. So you mentioned Rowan there coming to Sydney to be in your first musical. Tell me about that. Well, I moved here because at the time for a performer coming from a dance background, Brent Street Performing Arts was the best performing arts course. Like... Whopper was great for like the singer actors, right. uh, same with VCA and uh, NIDA. But for from a dancer background, moving into, you know, me having to learn new skills of like acting and, yeah. and singing. To be a dancer who can act rather yeah, than an actor that, who can dance. Exactly. That was the mm. best kind of course. And so I went there and long story short, I basically started there. And because of my work ethic a lot of the teachers would actually bring it up in class. Like we had Cameron Mitchell, Kelly Abbey, Jason Coleman, like really great, you know, who are now kind of iconic within the kind of um, musical theatre landscape uh, were our teachers. And so at the time, Greasy Arena Spectacular was about to start rehearsals, like at the start of March. We started in Feb. Um, and Chicago was about to start. So we had uh, Kelly Abbey, Troy Rowley, Juliet Verne, who were going off to do... Greece. Kelly was assisting Ross Coleman on the choreography and Cameron Mitchell and Jason Coleman going off to do Chicago. Something happened. I don't know how this happened, but uh, they got to the first day of rehearsals at Greece and there were two boys short. They've o- they'd overhired the girls and underhired the, the male ensemble. That's a strange error. I know. I don't know how it happened. Um, but anyway, hey. I think someone got fired. I really do believe that someone did get fired. Um, and so Kelly was asked and a few of the people were asked, like, well, we need to hire some boys. Like, men, who do we get? And they all said, there's this kid at Brent Street. He's great. He's diligent. He's got a great work ethic. We think that he would be able to just come in and do it. And so that was on the Monday. I got a phone call at Brent Street. Can you come in and audition on the Wednesday morning at 10 a.m.? Got in there, audition on the Wednesday at 10 a.m. By 12 o'clock, I had the job and I started after lunch on that day. Good grief. So I went from being a full-time student to fully employed on this new, big, brand new Big deal of a thing. Big deal of a thing with, you know, Danny Minogue and Anthony Warlow. Mm. How long had you been at Brent Street by that point? Four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah, it was the start of my fifth. Did you go back? No. (laughs) I had the opportunity when that finished because it was a short tour. We finished in July and they they said, do you want to come back? And at that time, I was like, well, I, I am still behind in a lot of this stuff, but I'd learnt so much course, from on the job. Know, being thrown in the deep end and, and looking at all of these amazing performers and learning a lot. But then I just started getting work, like corporate work too. So I started doing that and I was thinking about going So back. what do you mean by corporate work? Corporate work, uh, doing um, dancing for like big kind of dinners that people have. You know when you, know when you go to like a... a a dinner for Coca-Cola or awards night or, or, awards yeah, night or something. Yeah. There's always entertainment. I uh-huh. was doing, you are the you know, entertainment. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the time people are just schmoozing and talking while you're up there. You know, yeah, they're not paying full attention to your performance. Not really, but you it's could deal of, with that. There's a paycheck with at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then an opportunity to audition for The Boy from Oz. Right. Up, okay. Uh, to swing the show, and I was like, I'm going to go for that. If I don't get it, maybe I'll go back. Right, so yeah. they'd opened the show and it was coming into winter and a lot of people were going off sick and they're like, we're, we're one boy, one male and one female. One <laughs> young male. One young male. <laughs> I, kind of, I was still a boy young at that male stage. Adult. I hadn't turned 19 yet. <laughs> um, and 
they realized they needed coverage to cover the ensemble because yeah. people were dropping like flies because they were getting sick and injured. And so I auditioned. We were on the stage at Her Majesty's Theatre, which is now a car park, and never thought that I'd get it, only because I was looking around going, well, that guy's my teacher and that guy's the guy that's been around for ages because I'm doing corporate work with him and he's amazing and all of these things. And then I got offered the job and jumped into that and and at the at the time you know like Todd McKenney was a big hero of mine I'd seen him in West Side Story I'd actually seen the boy from Oz and seen him do it and I was like oh this this is going to be amazing and Roy Dudley there were so many people yeah, yeah. in that in that ensemble who I'd really kind of looked up to I'm curious about that thing because I wonder whether with the boy from Oz audition and before that with the, that Grease audition which mm. was you know the one Monday Wednesday you know all happening mm. so fast was there an element of you because you did feel so inexperienced that was kind of going, oh, I'm not going to get this. And so that kind of completely relaxes you? Probably. I remember having to sing I Still Call Australia Home, standing in the middle of the stage, yeah. having to sing a G, which I think I'd never sung before, <laughs> and I got to it and I opened my mouth and, the, and the, the sound came out and it was right, and then I didn't know how to finish it. I didn't know how to finish the note because I'd never sung it before, so I just shut my mouth and I was like, Okay. I oh, guess well, that's it then. That's, that's <laughs> it. I was just so happy that I was there and doing and I'd done it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just, just being free and not really putting too much pressure because mm. obviously, you know, like I think when you start doing things, all of a sudden that, that pressure to, to then achieve the end goal, which is booking the job becomes much more a, a weight on your shoulders. And I think people, we all feel it, you know, once you've had some success, then you feel like, well, you've got a reputation if you yeah. don't get the job then what does that mean you know so i think when you're younger you're just you're just going for it yeah. you and know? there would have been that i have no fear kind of age yeah, a little bit you're in. a yeah. little bit mm. i was still fearful mm. i was still f fearful that i wasn't good enough or that i didn't have enough training especially in the things because i'd never said a word on stage ever and to cover the ensemble in The Boy From Oz, they all had speaking roles. So then when I got the job and they said, right, come back and watch the show. So now I'm watching it, you know, with a keen eye being like, well, I, now I have to do all of this stuff. And the first thing they go into Pretty Keen Teen and one of the ensemble members is being Brian Henderson. And I was like, I'm going to have to say that. <laughs> if he goes off, I'm I'm the next one on. And then more people kind of came on And you'll probably stuff. only know at like three o'clock that afternoon kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I at least had a couple of days to get ready. This wasn't like start the job on the day. No, no, but that but, thing of when you need to go on as someone, it's usually oh the God, last yeah, 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 yeah. But we had a yeah. great resident director, Darren Yap, and he taught me so much just mm. in the calls, sitting in his office and talking about the script. I learned so much about mm. how to break down things. Uh, you know, I was just like a sponge. I was like, tell me more. And he was so patient and so wonderful at his job that I really learnt a lot about acting from him mm. as an 18 year old. So in those early days when you know, you're on stage with you know, Danny Minogue, Anthony Warlow, Todd McKinney, mm. was there anything about you that was starstruck by these people? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, of course, of course. I mean, here you are working with people that you'd seen like Danny Minogue, obviously, you mm. know, film clips and what had she been on Home and Away, I think. Yeah, because Kylie, was, Kylie was on Neighbours. Yes. I, I can't remember Anthony who got Waller, first. Is, <laughs> she was a young talent time, wasn't she? The Phantom of, of the, the opera. opera. I mean, yeah. I'd never actually... I'd never actually seen him on stage, but I knew of him. Everyone knew of him. Mm. And obviously Todd, yeah, I was just like a kid in a candy store just watching these <laughs> people. And, and it's interesting, I know I'm jumping ahead, but being on stage 
with Todd in The Boy From Oz, mm. I was never on stage watching Todd being like, I'm going to do that one day. Because I did. was just happy because I ended up mm. doing it. I was just happy to be on stage dancing, mm. you know, and, and it was only slowly through my career that I, I discovered that what dancing gave me was this great kind of technique and great release and, and a, an amazing kind of opportunity. But what I actually really thrilled me was about storytelling and and that dancing only gave you a certain portion of that. Mm. So therefore, what else is going to help me tell these stories? And so it became, I love singing. I love delving into lyrics. What else? It's acting. So then therefore, I never once was on stage during my time in Boy From Oz ever pining to be Peter Allen. Mm. It's just only through my tenure in my career that I was like, oh, actually, storytelling is is really important to me. So mm. therefore, why don't you play Peter Allen in 20 years' time? <laughs> yes. Well, I want to hear a bit more about that shortly, but we have sure. to have some more music first. And uh, we've got Ella Fitzgerald next. Yeah. I love this song. The original is by the Flamingos, but this version uh, has a great orchestration and, and Ella Fitzgerald can do no wrong. I mean, her repertoire her her voice her agility um the way that she sings a song her the way she interprets music is incredible and i just love this version of i only have eyes for you are the stars out tonight i don't know if it's cloudy or bright cause i only have my Earl Fitzgerald with I Only Have Eyes For You, the choice of my guest in conversation today, actor Rowan Brown. So going back to The Boy From Oz and playing the Peter Allen role somewhat later than uh, being a swing mm. at uh, the now demolished Her Majesty's Theatre, mm -hmm. what's it like playing that role when you actually have actually been in an earlier version of the show and you can see Todd McKenney, or maybe you're thinking of Hugh Jackman as well, who of course also made the role famous. Of course. Do you have to sort of put that all out of your mind? or? or... Yeah, well, there's certain ways that you, you, I would remember hearing a line of the way that, that Todd would play it. But uh, I had the great privilege of, at the Arts Centre, they have a great kind of historical archive and they've got this great collection of all of this old footage of Peter Allen, stuff that's never been seen, all of these old um, letters and notes that he would write. So... I kind of had to decompartmentalize what my ear would hear the lines being said and then really putting myself into Peter Allen's world, how he would say things. And I watched so many videos, live videos of him in concert, of him in these tiny little bars in Boston and Philadelphia and and um, really kind of had to push that kind of memory aside to do my version and really honor um, Peter's 
legacy. Your version of Peter Allen, not your version of Todd McKenney's version of Peter Allen. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess mm. the greatest compliment that I got was when Peter's sister came mm. and saw the show and she came backstage and came into my dressing room and she was just in tears. And she was like, I literally, it was like watching my brother mm. on stage. So great to look at that archival footage. I mean, it's those kind of clubs. I, I just don't know whether those sorts of things exist anymore. It's, it's really sad. I, I wish I could go back in time. I think that yeah. was one of the things I'd do is I'd go back and sit in the bar like that and watch exactly. someone like Peter Allen. Yeah, I mean, there's a great, the one that I, I watched incessantly for, for so long was was Peter at the Bayou. Mm. Um, I think it's in Philly. Uh, I'm not sure. But it, that live concert, it's this tiny little bar and he's just so candid and funny and irreverent and dirty sometimes, <laughs> but just so charming and just... He didn't have the best voice and, you know, like for, for, for purists of how to play a piano, he, they probably hate watching his fingers and the way that they work on a piano. But my God, he could tell a story. My God, his music was just so brilliant. And, and all of those songs, like mm. when I first saw the show way back in 1998, I only knew Rio and a little bit of I Still Call Australia Home. Um, but then to hear his, you know, kind of the canon of all of his music, it's just he's, he's such a great, great songwriter. Mm. It's interesting you, you mentioned that, you know, maybe he wasn't the best singer, maybe he wasn't the best pianist, but the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts, isn't it? Correct. Mm. Well said. Some of the other mm. work. What did, what did you move on to after that original uh, Boy From Oz? I Boy mean, From Oz. You've got I... in the Rain, you've got Cats, you've got all sorts of uh, stuff. All, all of it. Um, <laughs> uh, all of it. I've done one of everything. But I, after that, I took a bit of a break and was doing corporate work. So I did like yeah. dance and film clips. Uh, you know, I just wanted to stay in Melbourne for a bit. Mm. We've been on tour for like two years with Boy From Oz. Um, so I stayed there, but then I kind of hungered for doing a little bit more. And then I played my first role on stage, which was Wing in Hot Shoe Shuffle. Now, Hot Shoe Shuffle was a show that I saw... 15 times whenever mm. whenever it came to Melbourne in 94 from then onwards I was just obsessed with the show because you know there you had seven guys and and Rhonda Birchmore or Deb Byrne or whoever um kind of just tearing up the stage and just it was funny and it was you know like such great talent and the choreography was so good so it meant a lot to me so I auditioned for it I got it mm. and then I started saying lines on stage and I was like ooh what's this I like this. That's when you started. That's when I was like, oh, this is, I really, really enjoyed this. And so I was like, oh, and and I thought I was not too bad at it. I thought, Mm. you know, with a bit more training and a bit more experience, I could get better at this. So did you get that training? Or I was think it all on the job again? It was all on the job again because, mm. like, it's it was hard, especially with that tour. We were, it was, like, the capital city and regional tour. I think mm. we did 30-plus cities over... 10 or 11 months so there was no time you couldn't like do a dropping class and I was at the time I think afraid of failing I think you know not necessarily crippled by it but I didn't want to put myself in a position where I, where I thought I could fail so I thought that at acting that I could potentially do that mm. so I just would not put myself in that position interesting mm. well, this is kind of going to be a lengthy leading to our next piece of music because mm. the next piece of music is West Side Story medley yeah. um, and so I want to talk about West Side Story because mm. you played Riff mm-hmm. now when did that happen long time after um, yeah after, after that after that it's <laughs> yeah. probably like 10 years later again that was like I saw Todd McKenney <laughs> do it <laughs> uh, when I was still in high school and it was always like that was the dream role. 
that was like at the at the apex of what I wanted to do. Mm. And so when the opportunity came, I was like, I, I need to be in this show. I was doing Chicago at the time. Um, and so I just threw everything at it. I was going off. I had a, I had a mate who was uh, either in NIDA or just finished doing NIDA. And so I was like, did some training with him to break down the script and just, just really get ready. I don't think I'd ever prepared as much for an audition at that point mm. as much as I did for West Side. And then I, and then I got it. And there was this just incredible opportunity for me to put my stamp on, on the show. I'd seen the movie that many times when I was a kid. Obviously it was one of the first musicals I, I saw live here in Australia. And so to then be part of the new version of it, which it hadn't been here since that time. Oh really? So it's like, a, that like about 15, 16 mm. years. So to play the leader of the Jets, sing, cool. I was like, this is this is it. This is the yeah. pinnacle. This is this. It doesn't get better than this. Tell me about the energy required for that show because kind of like uh, Beauty and mm. the Beast, there's there's a it's it, there's a lot of physicality there. It's a lot. It's and a lot of anger too. So that takes yes. a lot of energy as yes. well to play this kind of pent up aggression. Um, and it's got to work. You can't you can't just be on and off. It's got to it's got to kind of be consistent through the oh show. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's probably a good thing. You know, spoiler alert. Uh, it has been around for sixty plus years. Riff dies. Um, oh, does he? End, oh. oh no! Yeah. At the end of Act One. So I mean, it, but you do you do a lot to earn that death. <laughs> you know, you you open the show, you go into jet song, then you go into scene work, then you go into dance at the gym, you get a little bit of time off um, when the girls sing America, but then you come back, you do cool, you, then you do a fight at the, at the, you know, I think it's called the Rumble. It's a lot. It's high energy, high stakes, you know, because Riff and his gang have a lot to lose. It's, yeah. all, it's all about pride. It's all about claiming their stake. It's all about, you know, family being accepted and these people coming in and trying to take that away from you. So there's a lot of anger and frustration. So, yeah, it, it took a lot out of me and it was a long tour as well. And you, so, and you can't say you haven't died on stage now. So Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably a couple of other performances where people are like, Ron Brown died on that stage in that performance. No, I hope not. But you want us to hear uh, this fabulous Sammy Davis Jr. medley. It's so good. Uh, and and uh, I love this too because I also did a show at uh, Hamer Hall, which was called Under the Influence. Um, and I wasn't drunk while I was doing it. Um, it was just about the influences in my life. And Sammy Davis Jr. was a massive influence in my life. The Rat Pack were my, my grandparents were really, really big fans. And they used to play records of his and we'd have the Sammy Davis Jr. show on TV. And this version of the song, a medley of West Side with all of those interchanging kind of time signatures, how he does it is incredible. And I was like, I'm going to learn it and do it at my my concert. And it's it's great. So I'm, if you haven't heard it, it's going to be on your playlist. Tonight, tonight, I'll meet my love tonight. Tonight there will be all shining stars. Tonight the world is filled with laughter The world is filled with music It's better than all right Tonight Everything's right in America Everything's bright in America But nobody knows in America Puerto Rico's in America Officer Krupke, we're down on our knees 
Cause no one wants a fellow with a social disease Officer Krupke, what are we to do? Gee, Officer Krupke The most beautiful sound I've ever heard Maria Maria, Maria, Maria All the sounds of the earth in a single word Maria, 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 Maria Maria I just met a girl named Maria And suddenly I found how wonderful a sound could be Say it soft, and it's almost like praying. Maria, I'll never stop saying, Maria. The remarkable Sammy Davis Jr. with his West Side Story medley, uh, something that I'd like to see Rowan Brown perform on stage. Uh, Rowan, was there a clip of that uh, performance that you did of it? Uh, there, I've, yeah, I've got a video somewhere. Yeah, we, we professionally <laughs> filmed it because we were going to take it on tour. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit. Oh, <laughs> so, that thing. And it kind of yeah. went up on the shelf. And, um, I mean, it's still there. I've still got all the charts for the band. And we had, like, an eight-piece band and oh, wow. you know, a roster and all this kind of stuff. Like, it was it was huge. It was at Hamer Hall. We had yeah. two, two sold-out shows there, and um, which is, like, 3,000 seats. So, yeah. Good grave. Um, I, I mean, is that what you were kind of doing I mean, before the pandemic, at least? Was that something you were trying to move your career into? Or was it just sort of an opportunity that came up at the right uh, moment? A bit of both. Yeah. yeah, it was an opportunity that came up, but I I enjoy connecting with people on a personal level. Like it's it's not often that as performers uh you get to be yourself on stage, especially if you're working in musical theatre, you're mm. you're, you know, on a script being a character, somebody that you may kind of find an affinity with, but maybe you're like, This person is nothing like me, so I have to find how to how to play it. Some performers really don't like being themselves on stage. It's too kind of, I guess, confronting, maybe? confronting and mm. open for them. And um, whereas I like it, I love connecting with yeah. an audience and telling mm. stories. And this was also kind of, you know, emerging of me telling my life story, but also talking about my influences, mm. talking about my teachers, my 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 parents, my grandparents. You know, where all of these kind of little things came from for me to find my voice as a performer mm. so i really enjoyed it um mm. and i would do it again so we might take it on to us yeah. at some point but i'm very busy at the moment you're a little busy <laughs> very busy well, you know i'm sure that you know you could do it on, on the monday night oh yes i'm sure <laughs> you don't need to rest i did sing i think they're like 20 songs in it so i might uh, <laughs> i might wait until I'm, I'm not also doing eight shows a week Indeed. <laughs> it might take it out of me now you mentioned you know riff being the the role you wanted to play right this this was this was a kind of goal i'm curious to know that as you and, and you know you're still quite young comparatively speaking but oh, you know you do you do get older we all get older and so therefore for an actor for a performer the roles you'll be going for and the roles you'll be getting are going to gradually change of course have you seen that happen of course. And I think the goalposts always move, you know, like when you achieve a dream, mm. then you're like, well, 
you either plateau or you have to change, you have to move those goalposts. Look for the next peak. Yeah. So so then once I did that, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm here now. So well, what next? Um, and so then it moved to Singing in the Rain and then that happened. And then it moved to Boy From Oz. And so it's interesting. I, I think at the time I was doing Strictly Ballroom. I think Matilda was happening. I didn't really know too much about it. But somebody said, oh, you'd be great for the dad. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Dad, I think at the time I was 34, it was the first time that I was like, somebody was like, dad role. Yeah. And it was really confronting. You, you, not the right. I was you had just to go like, have a lie down. A little bit. And then I was like, oh, I'm definitely a dad if I need a nap right now. Do, um, do you want to take that outside? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. And that was the first time where it was like, oh, well, these roles will will change and, yeah. and grow and stuff. And now that I am a dad, I'm like, oh, it's the greatest role in yeah. the world. Like, why would you not want to be a dad? Um, but you, you're going but, from like a, what is supposed to be a teenage gang member mm. to being a dad. Yes. In the space of a couple of years? Is well, that, right? that was five years, yeah, yeah. about five years. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it's 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 Because that's strange. what I was thinking. It kind of goes goes up there, I suggest. Does it go up in, in kind of steps? It's, it doesn't merge. It's sort of one minute you're playing a gang member, a teenage gang member, mm. and the next minute you're playing a dad. And then the next minute you're playing a grandfather. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like I guess it shows so, your versatility, doesn't it? Well, They're like, so. wow, look at him. He's gone and, from teenager to dad to, yeah, to Benjamin Button. This is amazing. <laughs> I suppose makeups is a wonderful thing. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> in both directions. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I want to talk about a role that I didn't mention at the top of the program mm. because it's uh, quite quite different, and that was uh, your role in the animated film of Happy Feet. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what mm. you did for that mm-hmm. and what that was like? I mean, so it's really interesting because uh, I was speaking about this recently in another interview that, you know, when you're training, you think, okay, well, I'm going to do all these amazing things, but mm. you never think, oh, one day I'll be crawling around the stage as a cat or like I played I played <laughs> a cat, <laughs> I played a dog, I played a penguin and now I'm a candelabra. Like, I mean, these <laughs> these random kind of things. And so I'd literally just finished a tour of cats at the time. I just came back from Asia and my mates were working on this project. They, they were just calling Kingdom. That's all. They couldn't talk about it, mm. couldn't really say anything, but it was this big film that was being filmed. Code word. But yeah, by yeah. Warner Brothers. Um, and they were having a great time on it. And they were, they'd been workshopping for, I don't know, a year. And I knew that Kelly Abbey was on it. Again, my teacher from Bren Street who, who you know, nominated me to do Grease. So we'd kind of had this kind of thread through, through my career. Um, she was working on it as a choreographer. So I called my agent and I just said, look, if there's any way that I can get on this film, I, I, I would love to. And so they called Kelly and they said, well, actually, we're going to start filming soon. So we need Rowan to come and go to penguin school. <laughs> so there I am having just been a cat going to this warehouse in the middle of, I think it was Alexandria somewhere mm. and um, walking into this huge kind of warehouse and they just had screens up with just videos of penguins and myself and another female had to go through penguin school. So we had to learn how to walk and behave like them. And then the director said, yay or nay whether they can, you can stay or thank you very Have much. Have you passed penguin school? I passed penguin school. I got yes. my L's of, of <laughs> you know, penguinitis um, and start. And we literally, I was lucky that, you know, I, I wasn't part of the workshopping. I went straight to filming. 
and there were 15 of us and we filmed every single penguin that's on the screen. There's no like cut and paste. It's literally every single penguin that you see on that screen is, is one of the 15 of us. So we filmed for months and months and sometimes they're like, okay, so now you're, you're up on this iceberg, you're looking down to your right and, and Mumbles is tap dancing over there. Okay, now we'll shoot that. And you're on a green screen kind of And you're literally, yeah. it's not even that. There's just, we had this massive kind of floor that was divided out into grids. They had 60 something infrared cameras up in the ceiling they filmed it and then they from that filming they inserted you into the computer and then it went off to the animators to then turn you into penguins but you were these rudimentary kind of you know commodore 64 penguins in the in the computer there and then they go up and be rendered so were you always playing the same penguins as it were or or did did they just say yeah so they just say oh we need a penguin to do this you do that um you're good at that one yeah yeah there were some people who'd been on it for a long time who were playing like the main characters. Right. So Kelly Abbey and, and Kate Warmold were playing um, Gloria, so the main female. Mm. Matt Lee was uh, Mumbles, the main tap dancing little penguin, until it got to the real big tap dancing stuff. And then we flew Savion Glover, like mm. the world's greatest tap dancer out. So we got to work with him again. I'd watched him on films like Tap, the movie with Gregory Hines. And here he was as an adult tap dancing in front of me and I was like this is this is amazing what an incredible incredible experience so just to explain sort of in more detail for people the idea is that rather than just an animator animating these dance moves they've got real people to model it from so that yeah. it looks as naturalistic as possible yeah and they'd they'd, they'd already done um lord of the rings and so any like fight scenes that you saw yeah. they just kind of create this algorithm where they're like okay well this this needs to happen here and so it would just all it would be computer generated yeah. whereas with ours every single penguin that you see on that screen is human driven right it's not like copy and paste copy and paste yeah, yeah. Mm. so even when there's hundreds of them that we film that scene yeah you, however many times however many times do you know which penguins are you? In you certain scenes, I do. In <laughs> yeah. certain scenes, I'm I like, I that know I was there. <laughs> I know I was there. But the rest of them, it's like, oh, dog, there's 10 of me on this screen right now, and I couldn't tell you which one. Right. Our next piece of music now, Rowan, what's uh, this one? Uh, this is La Nevada, the Gil Evans Orchestra. This whole album is just incredible. Uh, the different kind of journeys, especially in this particular song. Mm. It's groovy, it's funky, it's it's intense. It's, um, it's a very great jazz piece, and yeah, I love it.
just a small part of La Nevada from the Gil Evans Orchestra. The choice of my guest in conversation today, actor Rowan Brown. So, Rowan, uh, when you're not playing a penguin or <laughs> Peter Allen or a candelabra, <laughs> what do you like to do to chill out? Uh, many things. Listen to music. Uh, I really enjoy cooking. Ah. Um, I generally live in Melbourne. Um, so, you know, you've got a you great a kitchen there, right? down there and we've moved up here and we've got this great house, but it's not um, as user-friendly in the kitchen. So I'm not cooking as much here. And because we're only kind of like just recently into the show schedule, I'm still trying to figure out my, my timing down, of yeah. everything. But again, as I mentioned before, I'm a, I'm a dad as well. I've got a two-year-old that takes up a lot of my time and not because he needs it, because I want it. Yeah. You know, he's such a beautiful kid. And yeah, like we've moved the whole family up. So my wife is here, my son is here. And and generally outside of the show, I'm hanging out with them, which is brings Fantastic. me so much joy. Yeah. How is... Life as a performer where you work strange hours sometimes and sometimes you're not working at all, I imagine, for, mm. for a short period of time. Uh, how do you balance that with family life? Well, this is the first time that I'm doing a musical, which, again, the commitment is is a lot. When we're now just doing shows, it's, you know, it's a 40-hour week, roughly, eight, oh, okay. shows, eight shows a week, and we get two days off, so we do... So you, you get know, like a weekend, yeah. Yeah, which is which is great. But when we were rehearsing and, and teching the show, which is long hours, you're in you're in the theatre from eleven AM till eleven PM, um, I really found the balance quite hard. So my wife was doing a lot of the the, the home looking after mm. Duke and making sure that he was okay. Plus she was work she was on Dancing with the Stars at the same time. So I mean she was carrying a mountain and I was just trying to trying to do this, you know, Beauty and the Beast. So this is the first time we've done it. So it's finding its feet now. Yeah. But I guess I had the privilege of really kind of setting up my own schedule when we were in Melbourne when he was just born. And I was trying to work smarter, not harder. Uh-huh. So I was working. Oh, I was only working about fifteen hours a week, and that was just, that was I was earning great money. Mm. So that's all I had to do. So my commitment was really kind of being there for my son and for my family and for Christy, my wife. So yeah, I've kind of been able to be a very present um, presence um, in my son's life. So. Now, when I say oh, I've got to go to work, he's like, "Go see, go go to Daddy's show, go Daddy's show." So he's he knows where I'm going. He's well, seen where I'm good. going. Two for two, two. His language is very wow. it's quite quite um, advanced. It's I, don't, I don't want to talk about my kid about how advanced <laughs> he is, but he's, he's pretty, he's pretty advanced. <laughs> it's almost as if his parents talk for a living. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you've heard me waffle on for nearly forty five minutes. <laughs> but if you could go back to that, uh, I know, 17, 18 year old who came up from Melbourne to go to Brent Street for four weeks before mm. heading off mm. to do Greece, meet up with him and say something to him, let him know something. What did you want to tell him? I, I would probably go back into what we just spoke about. I would say be a little bit more fearless. More feelers. Yeah, put yourself out there. I mm. think I really, when I first started, I really just let the universe, not that I, I was, you know, thinking, I'm just going to let the universe, you know, tell me what to do. I really just rolled with it. I just yeah. went with with kind of opportunities as they came up. Opportunities what yeah. happened. And it's mm. interesting uh, talking to a lot of the younger cast members or younger kind of generation about what they've so driven. They've all gone to college. They've all gone to these performing arts courses and they're all really driven. Well, I'm going to do this. And then by the time I'm 25, I'm going to do that. I, I didn't have a plan. And I think because of that, always feeling like I've got a lot of catching up to do whenever I kind of came, I, I, I didn't put myself out there enough like I, I I always wonder what if I did have a plan would I have been 
playing roles earlier? Would I've would would all of this kind of been five years earlier or ten years earlier? Not that I have any single regret mm. because I think everything's worked out for a reason. Case in point, I got Greece again to play a role in Greece when I did another arena tour, as did my wife, Christy. And I think at that stage, if we had have met then, we both weren't ready to be in a long-term relationship. I think we would have met and I don't think we would be together. Mm. Um, and it's one of the great joys of my life is being her partner. So I think everything happens for a reason. I said no to that job because I wanted to do something else. I think if we had have met then, our lives would be very different. So everything happens for a reason. But to, again, this is a long answer. I would say, put yourself out there a little bit more. Don't be afraid to fail. I think I was always afraid a little bit to fail. Yeah. Um, which probably taps into Leo, you know. You know. <laughs> the Leo thing again. Yeah. But yeah. I think don't be afraid to fail and be a little bit more fearless. It's interesting what you were saying about the, the plan. Because, yeah, I'd have thought having those, if, if you have too much of a plan, like, I mean, oh, this is what I've got to achieve when I'm 25 and 30 and so on like that. You are probably setting yourself up for a bit of disappointment, aren't maybe, you? rather also, than being grateful for what you have. Yeah, and maybe you. shutting yourselves off, off from opportunity because you're like, well, that doesn't fit in my plan, so no, I'm not going to do that, or no, I'm not. Do you, which... do you see the younger generation doing that, or other peers from you at the time saying, "Oh, that's not part of my plan. I can't do that show. Uh, it's not part of my brand." <laughs> I definitely, definitely, uh, not with the people that I'm working with now, but I have seen it. I have seen it before to their detriment. You think? Yeah, I do see these very driven people and, and who will chase after their goals and, and achieve it. Yeah. But also then you go, well, does it bring you happiness? You know, because... Indeed. Well, Rowan Brown, it's been absolutely awesome having you here today. But before I let you go, there is one more piece of music you need to introduce. Ooh, and this is the, well, the awesome Aretha Franklin. I love this because I love Aretha. Again, incredible, um, versatile woman and voice and, and strong, powerful woman. But also because Stevie Wonder is a major, major artist of mine that I love. And he wrote this song. And this is from such a great album too, from top to bottom. It's awesome. And this song lives in the middle. Rowan Brown, thank you so much for joining thanks, me today. Thanks for having me. Actor, singer, dancer, Rowan Brown. He's appearing in Disney's Beauty and the Beast in the role of Lumiere. And I can say from experience, he certainly steals the stage whenever he's on it. It's playing at Sydney's Capitol Theatre and booking until Christmas. Get along to beautyinthebeastmusical.com.au for more information. That's the program for today. You can find past editions at 2mbsfindmusicsydney.com slash inconversation or find us in your podcast app. Just search 2MBS In Conversation. I'm Simon Moore, thanking you for your company on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs>